Happy Halloween weekend, everybody, and welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I am your host, Thomas Jackson. Today's episode, we're back in a pretty normal groove, recapping week eight and previewing week nine. Uh, just a little bit on the schedule going forward. Uh, we're going to have a couple guests on next week to preview one of the big games. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to do a little off-topic bonus episode on the World Cup uh, with a guest. And to cap off the regular season, just like last year, do an Iron Bowl deep dive uh, summit meeting, if you will. So looking forward to all of that going forward. Good to be back in normal groove now that I have my life a little bit more put together than I did the last couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, with that, we will get going. One quick note before we do, this is the last week without uh, college football playoff rankings. Those are released uh, actually exactly one week from when I am recording on Tuesday, November 1st at six o'clock central. Uh, so once those start to come out, in November, we'll spend a little bit of time uh, more, you know, through each episode on the rankings and whatnot and who's moving up, who's moving down. It's just, you know, the first half of the season when it's the AP, it's just there's so much movement all over the place. It's really just not even worthwhile to <clears throat> to look at all of those rankings too deeply um, before these playoff ones come out. So we'll di- dissect those a little bit next Tuesday. Uh, but yeah, just a quick FYI on that. And with that, we will move right on to get started with week eight. So before last Saturday, week eight started, we had a total of nine undefeated teams left in the FBS. Uh, Of those nine, three of them were defeated this past Saturday. So we'll start with those three matchups where uh, the undefeateds got upset. Clemson defeated Syracuse. Well, I guess that wasn't technically an upset, uh, but (laughs) they still defeated Syracuse 27 to 21. Um, The quarterback battle has reemerged in Clemson after going dormant uh, since week two or three. Of course, that's between DJ and Cade Klubnik, uh, the talented freshman there um, in Clemson. So, Clemson fought back from being down 21 to seven in the second quarter in this in this game. Uh, DJ got benched because the offense looked like the Clemson offense of last year, and it could not get going against the Orangemen's D. And Cade Klubnik came in in the third quarter. Did okay, not great. He still led them back to get the victory, so I'll give them that. Uh, but neither quarterback really burned it down by any means. After the game, Dabo was pretty hot and adamant in saying that DJ is the guy going forward. Um, so whether he really is or not, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Dabo obviously doesn't want to light the fire under the media circus that will be regarding this quarterback situation uh, any more than is already going to happen. So it's not surprising that he says that. Um, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen there? What if DJ does start after all next week when Clemson plays Notre Dame and Clemson rolls into the locker room at halftime with seven or ten points? Do they think about going back to Kate again? Maybe they'll have to to uh, win some of these games down the road. They have a pretty easy schedule, uh, but it's honestly pretty hard to imagine Clemson being able to win a playoff semifinal game of the offense is going to continue to look like this. So 
We think that Cade has the higher ceiling. DJ has the experience. It'll be fascinating to keep an eye on this uh, going forward, especially as soon as Saturday in the first quarter, first half against the Fighting Irish. Next, let's go to the other Death Valley. Uh, bad Saturday to be playing in either of those, I reckon. LSU defeated Ole Miss 45-20. to If you remember last week, we discussed how this was kind of a weird-looking line. LSU with a couple losses, coming off of a big loss to Tennessee uh, just a couple weeks prior. And Ole Miss, undefeated, number seven in the country. LSU wasn't even ranked, to show you why we don't talk about the early season rankings too, too much uh, on this podcast. But they completely stomped Ole Miss. Ole Miss has had one of the easiest schedules in the country, uh, despite being in the SEC. It's just very backloaded, and they played absolutely nobody in the out-of-conference. So this was by far their toughest test, especially with it being on the road. They had a close call against Kentucky about a month ago. We're able to squeak it out, but that really felt like more of Kentucky losing the game than Ole Miss winning the game, if you ask me. LSU, they've been getting a little bit better each and every week. Remember, they they started off losing that game to FSU on the, the blocked PAT, and they were the laughing stock of America after that, as they should have been with the whole Brian Kelly situation. Um, however, since then, yes, they had the really bad day against Tennessee. Other than that, they have been quietly just rolling along to a 6-2 and two record, Back in the top 20 now as they go into their bye week before Bama comes to town. Um, But LSU has just been getting a little bit better every week. And while I don't think that they are at the level of some of the obviously vintage LSU teams of the past decade, decade and a half, um, I think that they've done a really good job at just handling their business this season. And this was by far their biggest statement win. So even though they've struggled and looked questionable at times, um, if they, you know, they, they, it looks like they've been getting pretty much better every single week, and that's all you can really ask out of a first-year head coach. Moving on to the Pac-12, Oregon defeated previously undefeated UCLA, forty-five to thirty. Oregon is making a really uh, fascinating case for the playoffs with the way that they've been playing ever since week one. Um, Obviously, they got stomped by Georgia. They were one of the laughing socks of the country after that. Um, But since then, they have, again, quietly been handling their business, winning every single game ever since then. Um, And it, it makes you wonder if they are to win out and win this pretty good Pac-12 this year, then what, you know, what is the committee going to think if they have that ugly, ugly, ugly blowout loss on their resume, but it was all the way back in practically August, and you've done everything that you were asked to do since then and then some. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's going to really depend on what happens with the teams around them, the other one-loss teams, the undefeated teams that will eventually lose a game this year. It's really just going to depend on some style points maybe and how many other one-loss teams uh, end up that way after conference championship weekend if Oregon can win out, and that's a big if. Um, just for reference, the largest margin of defeat for a team who made it into the playoff was 2017 Georgia, who lost to Auburn by 23. 
if you remember, that was the month where Auburn just randomly got hot, as they do beat Georgia and Alabama in Jordan Hare that November. Uh, so Georgia lost that year by 23, still made it in, made it to overtime in the national championship game before losing. Um, Oregon lost by twice as many. They lost by 46, the final score of that game being 49-3, to and it probably could have been worse. Um, I wasn't watching the fourth quarter too closely, but I know how those usually go when it's that bad. Um, so yeah, Oregon has smooth sailing until the last couple of weeks where they're going to have a couple, a couple of really challenging tests. They play Utah at home uh, week 12 and then Utah State on, or excuse me, Oregon State in the Civil War on the road in Corvallis for the final week 13 rivalry week. So those will both be really tough. Um, but until then, Oregon plays some of the lesser Pac-12 teams. And I think they should be able to make it to that Utah weekend with only the Georgia loss on their uh, resume, which would be really, really fascinating for those last couple weeks of the seasons for the Ducks. Last note on this game, Bo Nix has been playing really, really, really well. That's a large part of the reason for Oregon's success. He's been playing way more consistently than we ever knew him to be capable of doing. We knew this guy had a high ceiling when he was having one of his days. The problem is he'd have some very bad days in between one of his days um, at Auburn. And he threw five touchdowns in this UCLA game, leading the Ducks to 45 points, which is as many as Auburn has thrown all season. (laughs) So with that, we will move on to TCU, Kansas State. Um, I love the Wildcats in this underdog spot at home. It was looking great for a little while. They got up 28 to 10 in the second quarter. Unfortunately, quarterback Adrian Martinez had to leave the game in the first quarter. Still have not been able to tell what that injury was, at least as of Tuesday. Um, But then after that point, TCU scored 28 straight points to eventually win the game, 38-28. The Horned Frogs have had a really tough slate uh, the last month, and all they've done is just take care of business with some big comebacks. Uh, They've defeated Oklahoma, at the time undefeated Kansas, Um, At the time, undefeated Oklahoma State and Kansas State, uh, all in the past four games. Next week, they have what we think will be a little bit of a break at West Virginia. I'm not talking about this game uh, later in the podcast when we do the preview. TCU is a seven-point favorite. This is an early morning game. All I'm saying is maybe think twice before hammering the minus seven with the Horn Frogs, even though they are certainly more than a touchdown uh, f- favorite better than this West Virginia. Pitiful, pitiful season for West Virginia, really, really letting me down. We'll talk about Neil Brown in the hot seat segment, unfortunately. Um, but this is just a weird sneaky spot after the last month of emotional high stakes comeback wins for TCU now traveling all the way up to West Virginia for an early morning game. Um, just think twice before that. It, it seems like it could be a, a sneaky sleepy spot where West Virginia, I'm not saying win, but maybe, maybe keeps it within a score. Um, so that's one of those kind of smelly fishy lines. Next Oklahoma state defeats Texas 41 to 34. Sark is now 10 and 10 in Austin, even though the vibes have been better in Austin this year than they were last year. Uh, 10 and 10 in your first 20 is still, I'm sure, not what the Longhorn faithful were hoping for. But Texas now suffers their third loss on the season. They were up, probably the worst part about it is they were up 31 to 17 
with three minutes and 40 seconds left in the uh, third quarter before Oklahoma State outscored the Longhorns 24-3 to in the final 18 minutes of game time. Uh, the Pokes' defense really buckled down there, especially in the second half, holding Quinn Ewers to a 40% pass completion rate. Um, Drew Sanders, who we didn't even know was going to play until right before the game, threw for almost 400 yards despite that injury. So Oklahoma State... Uh, bounces back after their loss at TCU to get Texas at home. They still have a chance to win the Big 12. Texas going to need some help elsewhere and some help from themselves to make it to Dallas or Arlington, pardon me, for the uh, for the big game in December. Um, but, you know, I mean, right now, considering the losses that they've had, against the teams. I don't think that Texas is doing awful. It's just when you see the figure 10 and 10 after 20 games, that starts to feel like every other coach that's been there since Max. So we'll keep an eye on them going forward, but I, I, I'm not panicking or it's, it's not a, an A&M situation. Speaking of the Aggies, uh, they lose 30 to 24 um, to South Carolina. The reason I say I'm not panicking too much about Texas is because it's year two for Sark. He's got some good recruits coming in. You know, I I trust the guy. I've seen him up close and personal. I am a biased fan. Um, but Texas A&M, it's year five for Mr. Fisher. I've got some stats. I'm just going to pop off on A&M here real quick. They have not scored more than 24 points against their last nine FBS opponents. Texas A&M is below 500 for the first time in October since 2008. Uh, Texas A&M has lost its last four games against unranked FBS opponents. Jimbo is 2-6 and six in his last eight games against FBS opponents. They are last in the SEC in scoring. That's extra significant because, remember, Jimbo is the quote-unquote mastermind for the offensive scheme and play calling, uh, which is now proving itself to be way outdated by at least a decade. Uh, they have $86 million left on Jimbo Fisher's contract if they were to buy him out right now. And we always joke about Texas A&M, no matter how they start the year or, you know, finish the year, they always seem to find their way to eight and four. It's kind of the joke. August 4th is International Texas A&M Day. Um, but now to eight and four, they currently sit at three and four. So that would require them winning out, which spoiler alert, they're not going to do. So eight and four is the ceiling for this Aggie team, which normally that's like a disappointing uh, you know, like, oh, we started off 5-0 and and then finished really poorly and finished at 8-4. and But now that would be best-case scenario for them in the 12-game regular season. If you listen to the preseason pods, you know that I was kind of cautiously optimistic on South Carolina um, this year. They're doing really well, um, better than I think most anyone, even those that were optimistic on them, you know, thought they might be able to do because no one at the beginning of the season thought that they were going to win this game. Um, but it, it was a great atmosphere there. They never let A&M get back, you know, too close in the game or anything. And uh, yeah, I think they, they started off the game 17-0. So after that, they pretty much just just held A&M down. And it's not like that offense has been able to do much against anybody all year anyway. But yeah, really impressive start from the Gamecocks. Uh, but A&M, yeah, losing to South Carolina in year five of the Fisher experience is not exactly what you had planned out back in 2017. Moving on to a couple quick ones. Um, Alabama beat Mississippi State 30-6. to 
not too surprising. It feels like we've seen the same movie a whole bunch of times at this point. Like I said, Alabama always bounces back uh, whenever they have a regular season loss and play really well the next week. The last three times that's occurred, it has been against Mississippi State, and Alabama's just completely derailed them. Um, so kind of bad luck for State there. They need to schedule Bama in a different spot, I guess. But yeah, 30-6, to six, and that's six coming on the last play of the game. That was kind of garbage, too. But Bama's defense finally woke up. The offense looked good in the first half. In the second half, pretty much stalled the entire two quarters. Um, running game still wasn't there, but I thought the receivers seemed a little more reliable than they have been in the past. And now Bama has an off week, which is much needed to, you know, reset, get healthy before traveling to Baton Rouge and playing Ole Miss the week after uh, to get November going. Lastly, weirdest score of the day by a million miles. Duke defeated Miami 45 to 21. Uh, Miami had eight, (laughs) eight turnovers in this game um, and lost by a total of 24 points. We'll talk about Crystal Ball uh, right now with the hot seat of the week presented by Lee Corso segment. Uh, Brian Harson is still leading the way. I guess he's just not going to get fired this year. Auburn is three and four and their schedule doesn't get any easier in uh, November. Pardon me. They play Arkansas this upcoming Saturday, which we're not really going to talk about because both of those teams have sputtered a little bit too much for me to really care. But, uh, yeah, that's the early game. Um, Auburn doesn't have an athletic director right now, so they're probably working behind the scenes, uh, whatever that looks like, to try to get someone lined up. And I don't, I don't know. I, I at this point, we'll probably probably see Harson gone the day after the Iron Bowl. Scott Satterfield from Louisville. We've been keeping an eye on him all year. They're four and three, coming off a two straight win, so in a better spot than when we last spoke on this. However, four of their last five games or against top 25 opponents, so I'm not expecting the Cardinals to end the season with more than probably six wins, and I don't know if that's enough to extend his tenure there at Louisville. Uh, Neil Brown, we added him a couple weeks ago, unfortunately, for the Mountaineers at West Virginia. They're three and four. Three of their last five are against ranked teams, and the two unranked teams are Iowa State and Oklahoma, so it's not like you really have any givens on there. So that could end in really bad fashion. Um, a bowl game seems very far away for the Mountaineers. Who's not back of the week? Presented by Texas. I feel like I can say that now that Texas has three losses on the season with a lot of ball left to play. Uh, the Miami Hurricanes and Texas A&M Aggies. I don't know which one to start with. Um I guess Texas A&M, just because it's year five instead of year one there and for Fisher and instead of Cristobal. But yeah, I mean, a lot has been said. This is nothing new, but just about Jimbo's system being outdated and really hard to comprehend for especially young quarterbacks or a guy that might have just transferred in there like Max Johnson over the offseason with not a ton of time to learn. Um, but Jimbo Fisher is just very stubborn. He's very stuck in his ways. You know, he is one of the very few coaches uh, that's currently coaching college football that has a national championship ring. So that's probably the biggest main source of his ego. However, it's just clearly not working. If it's year five, you can't blame it on recruits or transfers leaving after the last regime. It's Texas A&M is dead last behind Vandy in the SEC in total offense right now. So I just... He calls the plays, 
And if any, it, it seems like at this point, the only way this is going to work for A&M is if they hire an offensive coordinator and he takes his hands off of that side of things. Um, obviously not completely, but enough to where it can allow room for big growth because he's just strangling that offense right now. Even though they have a bunch of talented guys, the talent is being wasted. You look, the best example I heard on some other podcast, I can't remember which one this week, um, was looking at Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. After 2020, they were basically ready to fire him and they had to he sat down. He, you know, he's always been a very eccentric kind of big ego guy, um, set in his ways, but they sat him down and they said, look, things have to change in a big way if this is going to work. And if not, you're gone. And he approached the situation with humility and he took his hands off of some things about his team and gave the reins to some of his assistants who could help him. And then instantly, Michigan beats Ohio State for the first time in like 15 years or whatever it was and make their very first college football playoff the year that that happens. So maybe, maybe Fisher should look up to Ann Arbor and take a lesson from Harbaugh because, I mean, it's unlikely anything would change that fast for A&M, even though they do have basically all the talent that anybody else does. Um, it's just, that's a great example of what can happen if a good head coach just learns to stop being such an utter control freak when maybe the times have passed him by a little bit. I have no doubt that Harbaugh and Fisher can continue to be good head coaches, but you know, you look at the best to ever do it, they're the best to ever do it because they're willing to change, not because they just try to do the same thing over and over and over 10 years after it's expired. Um, so, yeah, that's it on AM and Fisher for now. Uh, they play Ole Miss this week at home. Uh, the Aggies are about a two-and-a-half-point dog. So that's kind of an interesting bounce-back spot for both programs there. Um Honestly, don't know what to think about it. Uh, and then, yeah, Miami. I, I don't know what I. I really don't know what to think about them. Forty-five to twenty-one to Duke at home. Um, it it really is just blowing my mind that a team that had some pretty good talent. I trust and respect Cristobal. Coming from the saving tree, obviously, but good lord, it seems like they just need a complete roster overhaul. The guys are clearly not buying into whatever that staff is preaching, and this could be a very difficult rebuild, much more so than I was expecting for Cristobal, but I guess there's a reason that Miami has been pretty much irrelevant for the past two decades, after all. So, tough scene there in Coral Gables. And now let's move on to week nine. All right, we've got three ranked v. ranked matchups this weekend. Um, so we'll hit on those and a couple other ones. We start with uh, Ohio State, number two Buckeyes, traveling to Happy Valley to play number 13 Penn State. This is at 11 a.m. Central. Ohio State is a 16-point favorite in this game. Um, Penn State normally plays them really well, especially at home. I don't know the ins and outs of the Big Ten TV situation like I do the SEC, um, but 
kind of a bummer this is an 11 a.m. game and not a nighttime game. I feel like every time this game has been played in Happy Valley in my entire life, it's been the whiteout um, <laughs> night game, but I don't, I don't really get that. So bright and early, we'll be starting off there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just... <laughs> I think Ohio State just has too much on both sides of the ball. Th- their offense just got done playing a really good defense in Iowa, and they scored the most that anyone has scored on Iowa since 1955 in their 54-10 to route of that team. Granted, their offense um, had a lot of opportune situations when the Hawkeyes offense coughed up the ball inside their own 20 15, 10, 5, even 1 yard line uh, throughout that game. So I don't know, maybe that stat is a little a little more uh, skewed towards making the Buckeyes look good than it really should indicate, but they can score on anybody. Um, Jackson Smith Jigma was banged up and is expected to play, but not certainly um, going to. So that's something to keep your eye on uh, probably before touching this spread either way. But Penn State just normally finds a way to keep this one interesting. I don't think that they're going to win this game, um, but it wouldn't shock me to see them try to just play ugly Penn State football, limit the amount of possessions that C.J. Stroud and the Buckeyes get, and just kind of turn this into a slop fest, which Ohio State has had some troubles with, especially last year. Uh, but that's one way to keep keep it within striking distance, at least for you know, two or three quarters and not just getting boat race like basically everybody else has. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it's by far the biggest road test that Ohio State has played in uh, this season. So that'll be a fun way to start off the morning. The next one, probably the one I'm looking most forward to, is number 19, Kentucky, going to play at number three, Kentucky, Tennessee, sorry. Uh, Tennessee is a 13-point favorite in this game. It kicks off at, I wrote down 5 p.m. Let me double check that. Yeah, that's right, 5 p.m. Central um, in Knoxville. I will be taking Kentucky in this game. Uh, I think 13 points. It started around 10, got all the way up to two touchdowns, apparently, the spread did for the Volunteers, and has now made its way back down. I saw 12 and a half and 13 today. Um, I just think that's way too many points. I could obviously see Tennessee, even if these, this game is close when the third quarter ends and we move on into the final 15 minutes, Tennessee has a type of offense where you blink and they score 17 or 21 points. So it's always scary betting against one of those types of teams. I completely understand because my own team has done that more times than I can count. Um, but I just like Kentucky with Will Levis back and playing. Uh, I trust them to play a good physical game and limit the possessions of Tennessee, just like we were talking about with Penn State, hopefully doing with Ohio State to keep that one interesting. Um, I think I trust Levis and Kentucky to keep this within a couple touchdowns. So I definitely like that. Don't think it'll be the best bet just because of the high potency of that volunteer offense. And also the volunteer defense, their pass rush, I mean, their rushing defense has been really good all year, and their passing defense um, has been something to to watch for this matchup because if they're just in the backfield uh, more often than not before Levis can have a chance to really breathe, then this one could get ugly early. Um, but that should be a great game at night there um, in Neyland. 
Number nine, Oklahoma State goes to number 22, Kansas State. Kansas State is a one and a half point favorite. This is at 2.30 um, in the afternoon central time. Definitely want to wait to see the status of Martinez before picking a side on this one. If he plays, I think this will be a fantastic game. If he doesn't, just based on what we saw with Kansas State getting shut out in the second half against TCU, I don't trust them to be able to beat the Cowboys in what is almost a pick game here in the Little Apple. Uh, Spencer Sanders, I guess, is good to go. He played the whole Texas game, and I haven't heard anything bad about him since then. These two teams, it feels like they've been in a ranked game for the past five straight weeks. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I know they got to be tired. It really does feel like a like a difficult SEC type of slate that they've been going through with all the great competition in the Big 12 this year. Um, but yeah, not not too much to say on this one unless we get we can get a word on Martinez and I haven't seen anything yet. So if he's in, um, then I would see this as, as kind of a coin flip type of game. If he's not, then probably Oklahoma State you know, I'm sure the line will move over to their favor, and uh, I would certainly like them and the under and probably the over if Martinez plays. So that that could be a really fun, entertaining game to watch in the afternoon. That is the same time as the next game we're going to talk about. Um, we'll kind of talk about both of these at the same time. Uh, the next two games, big rivalry games that you normally have circled on your calendar. Uh, when the schedule comes out, but they are not expected to be very close this year. Georgia plays Florida in Jacksonville, obviously the world's largest cocktail party uh, that's always played on this Halloween weekend, and Michigan State plays at number four Michigan. Both number one Georgia and number four Michigan are 22.5 point favorites over their adversaries there in Florida and Michigan State, respectively. Um, so yeah, the Georgia game is at 2.30 and the Michigan game is at 6.30 Central. I, I lied earlier in the podcast. I, that, that made me realize that I had my times crossed between Mountain and Central. Uh, so the Tennessee game is at 6. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, Michigan, 6.30. So hopefully both of those games are good, but I have a feeling the Tennessee game will probably be more competitive because Michigan State has just not shown us any reason to believe that they can compete with the Wolverines this year. But both of these being rivalry games, maybe Anthony Richardson uh, just has one of his days where he looks like the next coming of Cam Newton or something, uh, but I'm not going to be putting my money on it. So yeah, that's it for the big games. What I'm watching, the best three games in the early, middle, and late time slot in the morning, 11 a.m. Central. Uh, I've got Ohio State at Penn State at 2.30 Central, Oklahoma State at Kansas State, and at 6 o'clock Central, Kentucky at Tennessee. Uh, the Pac-12 After Dark Game of the Week, we're going with Stanford at number 12, UCLA. This starts at 9.30 Central, and yes, I am sure of that one. Um, but how does Chip Kelly's team bounce back from their first loss of the season, where they really got handled by Oregon? Um, so you know they, they still have a lot to play for. They could still be a one-loss Pac-12 champ, which I don't think would be good enough to get in the playoff at this point. But you never know. Uh, they're going to have to do a little scoreboard watching, as I've been doing as of this past Saturday, unfortunately, but that's just how it goes. So Stanford, 
not a very talented team, but they have won a couple in a row um, against teams that probably just have a better overall roster, even though they are clearly struggling in Notre Dame and Arizona State this most recent Saturday. Low scoring, ugly affairs, they just squeak them out. So maybe they can stifle this UCLA pretty potent offense Um, and make it interesting for us for a nightcap there in the Rose Bowl, which between these two fan bases, there might be 12 people at that game. I'm not kidding. Uh, The best bet, we don't have it uh, ready for this week yet. I will tweet that probably Thursday per usual. Last week, much needed win to get back in the win column. Alabama first half, old trusty, gets us back to five and three on the year. Uh, I kind of mentioned it. Last week, and uh, and when I was briefly going over the Bama-Mississippi State game, uh, but you can just trust the Tide in a bounce-back spot like that, especially at home, especially against State. So that was an easy winner there, and uh, didn't have any problem getting to 5-3, and three, couple over 500 on the year. We'll find us another good one for this Saturday. Lastly, pick em recap, little brother Will. Big 8-2 and two week after an 0-10 oh week. That's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, he is back in first place. My boy Nate is one game back in second place. I am four games back in third. And Ann Dillon continues to be right on my tail. She is five games back in fourth place. So good job to all. Thanks for everybody playing that one and listening along this week. Per usual, uh, I'm going to wrap it up right there, and we'll have a nice long episode with a big old preview of the big game next week. So have a good, safe Halloween weekend, everybody. Um, Hope you have some fun plans and watch some fun football this Saturday, talking about a week. See ya.